So I think it's very important that although SVB is very particular to also identify as a pack manager who you're banking with. Facts About Packs podcast. I'm Michaela Isler, NAPAC's Executive Director, and I'm joined today by Adam Belmar and David Schild. Thank you both for joining me for this special edition of the podcast. Great to be here, Michaela. You know, it's been a wild ride this week in terms of anybody managing money and uh, our trust in the global financial system. So I think this is a really timely and topical discussion. You know, a crisis in our banking sector has manifested quite suddenly, and the pace of the developments, Adam, have been too quick to follow in real time and and really, in some ways, even harder to understand. Indeed. And the questions that all of this have brought up, they're worth asking. And if you're going to ask them, you need a trusted advisor. Agreed. And honestly, that is why we have invited back CPA Brian Bender, a partner with him, a NAPAC member and team leader for their work with trade associations and membership organizations to join us for this conversation. This is just uh, the perfect guest for this discussion. But Adam, before we kick this off, maybe we should walk our listeners through the chain of events that led to this moment, everything that sort of occurred in the last week. Yeah, David, absolutely. As we tape this conversation, the audience should know it's Friday, March 17th, 2023, St. Patrick's Day. And to put this into perspective, one week ago, Friday, March 10th, regulators took over Silicon Valley Bank. It was the nation's 16th largest bank. And the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation was named the receiver. It was a 40-year-old institution, And when it went down, it was the largest bank crash in America since the 2008 financial crisis. Later that same day, Signature Bank, a 24-year-old New York institution that lent largely to real estate companies and law firms, started seeing its depositors leave in a hasty fashion. By Sunday, March 12th, to prevent the spread of a banking contagion, regulators seized Signature Bank. Later that evening, Sunday, March 12th at 6.15 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, to be exact, the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve System announced they would set up an emergency lending program with approval from the Treasury to provide additional funding to eligible banks and help ensure that they would be able to meet the needs of all of their depositors. And then on Monday morning, March 13th at 9 a.m. sharp, President Biden addressed the nation from the White House His key message? The banking system is safe. Your deposits will be there when you need them. Small businesses across the country, the deposit accounts at these banks can breathe easier knowing they'll be able to pay their workers and pay their bills. And fast forward to today, Friday, March 17th, the Federal Reserve says that as of Wednesday, banks across the country had borrowed $11.9 billion from the $25 billion emergency loan program it unveiled on Sunday. Adam, this whole chain of events has left many of us who are listeners of this show asking questions. Are PAC accounts safe? Are they insured? I think if we want to have the most informed discussion, we've got to bring in Brian, right, Michaela? We sure do. He's really uh, one of the wisest men I called and called earlier this week, and I'm so glad that he could join us today on on such short notice. Brian Bender, CPA, CAE, MBA, and partner at Witham. Welcome back to the Facts About Packs podcast. Thanks, Michaela. It's great to be here with you and everyone else. Appreciate it. 
So let's just level set a little bit and try to understand what happened at SVB. Um, you know, those of us that lived through the financial crisis of 2008, we're having some flashbacks here. But, you know, Brian, can you just explain the details and whether SVB is a special case? Your point as far as level setting on SVB is important because SVB is unique and it's very different in a lot of ways from your large multinational and even your community banks. And what makes them unique, of course, is who their customers are. And those customers are venture capital startups, specifically in the IT sector. And SVP was not diversified throughout a lot of industries. So they were subject to the risks of their customers, of their depositors. And something that's very specific about their customers is that they have a lot of investors um, with high cash balances. So they don't typically need loans. So what you see with a bank like SVB is that their customers who deposit money have a high rate of what's called cash burn. So they deposit a lot of cash and they use it up quickly. So SVB knew that. So they actually didn't lend out a lot of their deposits, whereas their counterparts in the industry would lend out between 70 to 80% of deposits. They only typically lent out between 20 to 50%. And they were at about 40% this past week when everything went down. And so what that means and, and why this happened, which is what everybody really wants to know, is because what SVB did is they got all these cash balances, right? And think of over the past two years, interest rates were extremely low. If anybody's bought real estate in 2020 or 2021, you know that your home loan was very, very low. And if you've looked at loans and mortgages in the 30-year range, they've escalated extremely high because of treasury and cash policies at the Fed. And so T-bills used to be extremely low, the rate of return. So what SVB was trying to do was extend their horizon, their investment horizon. So instead of investing that excess cash that they got from their depositors in short-term T-bills, they went into five-year, 10-year, 15-year, 30-year T-bills. Fast forward, the tech market started a contract. They didn't have as much investment money coming in. They had a higher rate of cash burn. And all of a sudden, they had to provide money to their depositors. And they had this $21 billion bond portfolio that was yielding about 1.8% when 10-year T-bills were yielding about 4%. And so when depositors came to withdraw their money, it forced them to sell those assets that had otherwise unrealized losses. And that's really what ultimately led to their demise. And although it's very specific, I think it's important to point out that there's a lot of risks associated with SVB that are unique to their customer profile. That doesn't mean that they live in, on an island. As Adam mentioned, there's other banks that have that risk of working within one industry. So I think it's very important that although SVB is very particular, to also identify who you're banking with as a PAC manager, to know that your typical community bank, your typical multinational bank is a lot more diversified, has a lot more different depositors than, say, an SVB. You know, Brian, uh, at the beginning of the week, uh, Dave and I had a conversation because as previous PAC managers, you know, we have both worked at organizations where at many times the PAC account has a high amount of deposits in their PAC account. And you know, there are so many other implications when you're thinking about reporting to the FEC, 
whether or not you're going to put that money in an interest-bearing account. And if you do, what are the tax implications? How do you report that on your FEC? So many PAC managers really, over the last many years, have kept their receipts in just a basic checking account. And so, you know, that got Dave and I talking about, well, what happens if you have over $250,000 sitting in your in your checking account? Now, granted, over the course of a cycle, that money will go down as you're supporting candidates. But, you know, are PACs at risk of having too much money in one bank or one account? That's a great question, Michaela. And I apologize if I continue to get a little what I'll call geeky accounting on you. Yeah, well, it's okay. This is the time for it. This is a special edition of Facts About Packs. So you keep coming with the facts. We can call it the geek edition. The geek edition. Geeky accounts are here to keep pack directors out of trouble, Brian. You're very welcome. So I'm going to reference a footnote that we have in any financial statement that we issue, whether it's a compilation, a review, or an audit, and it's called the cash concentration footnote. And the point of that footnote is to identify that there are cash balances and or investment balances and that there could be uninsured amounts of those balances of assets within your financial statements. Now, one of the basic concepts that I want everyone to know is that not all balances are insured by a single agency. There's actually two organizations that provide insurance for cash and investment balances. And the one that everyone hears about is the FDIC, so the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. And that is an actual federal agency that insures cash balances, deposits in banks up to $250,000 per institution, not per bank account. The second organization that provides insurance is called the Securities Investor Protection Corporation, or otherwise known as SIPC. Now, they are federally mandated, but are a nonprofit organization that insures brokerage accounts as it relates to securities and cash balances. They insure up to $500,000 in securities. So those would be equities, bonds, those types of investments, as well as $250,000 in cash reserves, which would be things like money market accounts. And so Although they are not a federal agency, they're federally mandated, and it's the same type of program that basically brokerages insure themselves with. And should a brokerage go under completely, you would be insured up to those amounts. So to look back at at your question about having too much money in one bank or one bank account, um, another thing I think everyone should know is no matter if you're covered under FDIC or SIPC, again, coverage relates to each institution. And that means you can't just open up five separate savings accounts at one bank and put $250,000 in each account. If you had that in five accounts, you'd have 1.25 million and you would have a million dollars that would be uncovered. So that would be your potential exposure if I'm talking about a concentration of cash within a bank. Now, in reality, not banks are all going to be subject to failing. Um, so, And a lot of them are what's called properly leveraged and in a healthy, diversified portfolio but it doesn't mean that you shouldn't check on your bank. So the first thing I would say is to look at your bank's rating. And there's several organizations, Moody's, Finch, and S&P are three very highly visible rating agencies. You can get a free online account at Moody's and they range bank ratings between AAA and they go all the way down to C or D, depending on what agency you're using that is rating the banks. And it starts with, you know, you know, very, very essentially safe investments, and it goes down to more and more risky to the point of um, the bank's going to go under. 
So, so those rating agencies look at your bank's balance sheet. They look at their activities. And as things might progress south, you might see the rating go from triple A down to triple B, down to B, down to C, down to D. So, so that's something just to be aware of um, that if your bank is improperly leveraged, you might want to look a little bit further. So I'm thinking about all that we're learning here and how important that is, but I feel like the listeners might also be begging that immediate question, well, if I've got a way more than $250,000 in my bank account, I need another bank, don't I? Or do they? How do you address that? Well, I think this is a really great opportunity for everyone to write set and say, what's my cash management policies? What are my investment policies? Look at how you manage your cash and at least understand your exposure and talk to your bankers. There's a lot of products at banks that can minimize exposure without taking money out of your bank and moving into a second, third, fourth, fifth, or sixth bank. There's several programs, two of which are CDARs, the Certificate of Deposit Account Registry Service, and Insured Cash Sweep Service, otherwise known as ICS. Um, those are two products that banks can offer. They don't all participate in those programs, but essentially what those both do is they take your deposits and or CDs and spread them out among member banks who participate in that program. So it's a way to keep your money at one bank and spread the risk within a program. So you can have $2 million within one bank and also be fully covered under those various programs, whether it be FDIC or CIPIC. One thing I'm struck by as we as we listen to Brian, you know, really get deep on this topic is that once again, PAC directors are the CEOs of small businesses who is very concerned this week about their money, small businesses, right? Many of whom saw a bank go under and wondered about payroll and wondered about if they could continue an operation. And as we've said many times on this podcast, if you are running a political action committee, you're the chief marketing officer. Now we find out you're also the chief financial officer. You're the head of product. You're the head of ops. It is just, you have to be such a polymath to do this job, but there are limits to what we can all teach ourselves to do, right? You know, those of us with liberal arts degrees, I mean, we're already just treading water. So if you're talking about, you know, can I be an expert on, uh, you know, the insurance uh, uh, against my deposits and, uh, you know, monetary policy writ large, I'm guessing the answer is no. That's where I think you've got to go out and you've got to get experts. But it also speaks to the importance of relationships. How many of us, when we were running PACs, simply inherited our bank account? We came one in one day and there was an envelope from any one of, you know, a major institution saying, Hey, this is your, this is your balance. This is your statement for the previous month. And did we think about going to somebody in our treasury office, somebody in our finance team and saying, well, how did we pick this institution? And what are some of the financial controls that are on paper? Have you briefed your board? I mean, when this crisis hit, I was thinking about the first question that, you know, a lot of PAC directors are going to get from their board or from their, you know, PAC chairman. Where is our money parked and do you think it's safe? A great way to answer that question is I've retained the following expert to help me answer that question because I'm not a financial subject matter expert. Well, Dave, I think about, I mean, I had a very well-run PAC program. I had a strong board of directors. I had a strong set of bylaws. I had a strong set of contribution criteria. And something, Brian, you mentioned this week was you know, having sort of a cash management or an investment management policy, 
was not something I ever had running a pack in all those years. And so seems to me that's probably a great first place to start. And, you know, I was looking at it more from the tax implications and filing reports and, you know, this, all the things that come with that. It's more of a, just a, a nuisance, really. Never thought about the risk on the other side, unfortunately. And I think that's where a lot of our pack managers are today. To Dave's point, this, this just isn't their background. They're not financial experts. No, and that's a good point as far as what's required when you do have additional accounts. And I know that when you open additional accounts, obviously you have the filing requirements within the FEC, but also, like you mentioned, the tax implications. So you might get minimal return as far as interest, and you might be subject to what would be the 1120 POL return, which is interest income over $1,000. And you have to file the return, you have to pay someone to prepare that, and you have to obviously manage the money. But to your point, it might be a net zero. But from a risk perspective, you might be fully covered by investing in CDARs or ICS. So from a we don't need to do it perspective, meaning disclosing an additional account, having investment income, um, that simplifies reporting from a non-interest bearing account and keeping everything in one spot. But it might make sense to have that additional effort to spread things out a little bit, file the necessary reports with the FEC and the IRS, and then be fully covered from an exposure standpoint. You know, if there's a lesson, maybe a a corollary here uh, that, you know, a run on a bank can happen. Yes. This is being called the first social media driven or Twitter driven run. The outflows happened within a 24 hour period faster than anything that had ever happened in recorded history. That is a fact. But we also know that in the time it takes the truth to get its boots on, a lie can move around the world. And we've been seeing that for a real long time. And that is kind of the corollary, I think, David, that when things are being reported that are inaccurate about our packs or our businesses or anything to that matter, we've got to hop to and be smart. And we've got to be able to assess the validity uh, of things and, and not let our own credibility be challenged. And this seems partial to that. Yeah. And, you know, Adam, as I was thinking about what's gone on over the last seven days, it just reminded me of the need to sort of have your radar turned on, that being a PAC director, you cannot simply bury your head in the sand of, you know, this is my eligible class and this is my budget for candidates this year. And I don't need to be concerned about anything. We've seen your need as a PAC director to pay attention to global events, to pay attention to political developments. Now it turns out you need to pay attention to markets because you're in the market. You're a depositor, right? And, you know, you have to be um, taking sort of a, a global perspective. You have to sort of be a consumer of various media feeds, not just one channel, because we've seen what happens to individuals when they're when they're doing soul sourcing uh, in terms of their media content doesn't end well. So I think this is just another reminder that you need to stay ahead of this. The only better thing I think this week than having great answers when your board or your CEO or your PAC contributors email you and say, what's going on with our funds? Are they safe? Is you getting ahead of it, proactively sending out a note and saying to your members, to your board, to your CEO, some of you may be concerned, given recent news in the market, about the funds you've invested in XYZ pack. I'm here to tell you we have a great relationship. Here's the due diligence that we've done. Here are the experts that are on our team. 
I want you to feel assured that we are being good stewards of the dollars you trust us with. Get ahead of that question. Show folks how proactive you are. That's excellent advice, David. And I want to thank you for joining us on this important conversation. And Brian, thank you so much for all of your insight and recommendations. Super timely and important. I really just want to thank you for talking us through all this today, Brian. We appreciate your perspective and experience here. Well, thank you, Michaela, David, and Adam. It was great to be here and to talk to you today about all of this. CPA Brian Bender, partner at Witham. Thank you again for joining us on the Facts About PACs podcast. And thanks to everyone for listening. Subscribe and meet us right back here next week.